You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credit to him for righteousness? You know then that, these, that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray as we continue through the wonderful, wonderful book of Galatians. God, as we've been praying through song, it is so sweet to trust you. Help us to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, Lord, help us to acknowledge you, to surrender to you. Help us to trust your work, not ours, And help us to have joy, even through very difficult seasons of life. Speak to us now, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if there's anyone in this room who could say that they have had serious questions about their faith. You may question other people's faith often, but I wonder if there's anyone here that could confess that maybe because of circumstances, maybe a lack of diligence on your part or a lack of diligence in what you believe would be the church's part or a pastor's part, maybe a lack of understanding or whatever the reason that you could confess that you have found yourself at times doubting, slipping toward disbelief, feeling a bit disconnected from the truth of the gospel. And I wonder... Just how many of us in this room this morning not can say and point to a time, yeah, I remember 12 years ago, I remember a few years ago, or how many of you could even this year admit like, yeah, that's, that's me. And how many, maybe even this month or this week or perhaps even this morning, you have had a saving faith in Christ, but even as you drive to church, you're at this season of life where you're like, I don't know if that was enough. We've been there. We've faced seasons of trials where if we would dare say that we would even begin to question, am I really saved? Am I still saved? Is Jesus legit? I mean, is he real? I mean, I remember at camp, believing that. I remember at that one church, that one song was played, walking the aisle, everybody looking at me. I remember then, but... I wonder if he's really legit. Maybe asking the questions, did, did I do enough? Or maybe 
really what we're asking in all this is, did God do enough to save me? It's a common trend today to encourage churchgoers to be skeptical. Many pastors believing that they are actually helping their people encourage their people with statements like this, maybe conversations like this. It's perfectly fine to doubt, to be skeptical, to question your own faith. They say things like, faith is like a muscle, and if you don't work it out, if you don't like, occasionally question critically the work of God, then your faith won't really grow. I've been told this when I was younger, and I believed it, and I actually repeated this to several people. It's sort of the understanding that, that God's big enough to handle your anger. You can yell at Him. You can talk back to Him. In fact, He encourages you to do that. You can go ahead. He can handle it. And the way I would phrase it to people a long time ago is God's big enough to handle your wrath. Problem is, it sounds very kind. It sounds very gentle. It sounds patient. And I would say it is true and good even for the evangelist to do that with unchurched people with lost people in fact i would say that it is we see all throughout the scriptures genuine seekers of god who are pursuing god who are trying to ask questions or kicking the tires they are coming critically and i would say if you are talking to those people yes encourage them ask the questions put it put god's list over here and world's list over here and let's help them compare the two But what I'm referring to and what the Galatians are dealing with is people who have already been saved, people who have already been in the church. They've already confessed that they want to follow God. People who have been down the road and now you have people coming back to them saying it's okay to question whether or not that was enough. Today in this text, Paul approaches those who at one point began to doubt, began to disbelieve, and in the process are finding themselves disconnected from the only gospel. If you're just joining us, we're in this series of Galatians, we're preaching through it. We've sort of done it in a weird way just because of my absence and who came to speak a few weeks ago. Um, uh, We've gone through Galatians 1 and chapter 2, so just a little recap here to help you out. Paul begins the letter by stating that this gospel message is not man's message. He didn't write it. He didn't invent it. It's not a message that he came up with or any other person. And so he says, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, that this means if either angels or him or anybody else tries to add to it or rewrite it, may they be accountable to God. May they be, the word is anathema, may they be released to the judgment of God. So it's not man-centered or man-written. Paul tells them in what we've looked at already is that he's stunned that so many of them have turned away from this good news, the only gospel. They've turned to another gospel, which is not really a gospel at all. They began to doubt. They began to feel disconnected because some traditional Jewish leaders were coming in behind the preaching of the gospel. They were teaching a different gospel. They were subtly starting to plant seeds of doubt in the Galatians. 
See, the Galatians were Gentile people. They were non-Jewish people. And these Jewish people were coming in. And and the Gentile people were lacking strong, pastoral, Christ-centered leadership. And they began to fall for it. They began to hear this and go, yeah, I need to hear about this more from you traditional Jewish people. Because what Paul told us, what other people told us, that doesn't seem like it's enough now. Paul's shocked. And he tells them, you're not actually turning from the good news. You're actually turning away from Jesus. So we come to chapter 3, and what is this discussion really about? Really, what is the whole letter about? It's a phrase we're really going to dive into more next week. But it's really about justification by faith versus justification by works. They are disconnecting from the only gospel because they're doubting that their faith in God and what God has done is enough. Ultimately, the problem of the Galatians is that they were struggling with what is really required to be right with God. That's what justification means. What is it really, what, what do I really need to do for to be justified before God? What is really necessary to make me right, or the word is righteous. And so Paul, what is Paul, shocking and stunning to Paul is that these people have already, who have already encountered God, who have already professed a faith in Him, they've already at one time believed and trusted only in the gospel, they're now doubting, they're now disbelieving, and now they're becoming disconnected from that truth. And so there's a long history here. We're going to get into it more next week, but here's the way John Stott put it. These people have yielded to the teaching of the Judaizers, those coming behind Paul. Having once embraced the truth at the beginning that sinners are justified by grace and Christ through faith, they have now adopted the view of circumcision and the works of the law, that those are also necessary for justification. What that means is the Judaizers were teaching the law. They were teaching, okay, Gentiles, you're almost there. You now need your men, your young men, need to practice the covenant of circumcision, a work. And you need to continue to work out the law. And so therefore the Gentiles are hearing this. Okay, we need to do that. Because I was kind of doubting that, that really all I had to do was believe and now... Yeah, this makes sense. This is something I could see and do. We'll get to that. So they were adding to the work. So today what we're going to look at is the right way to approach such doubting. We're going to look at the right way to address work-centered doubt and compare it to faith-centered belief. Next week, we're going to talk more about what it means to be justified by faith alone. But we're going to look in these chapters. What does Paul do? What does Paul do to question them? How does he help them? Is he like one of those pastors I mentioned earlier that just sort of loves them along? Hopes that they get it, saying, hey, we'll be here when you figure it out. It's okay to raise your fist. It's okay to add to it. And we're just here. It's big enough road. Get the metaphor there. It's wide. There's a lot of people doing it. And we'll just be here ready when you got it all figured out. No. (laughs) 
Look with me in this text. Paul is shocked. He's stunned. He says, and he uses the word, Baskino. Who's put a spell on you? He's stunned to the point. In verse 1, we see you foolish Galatians, who's cast a spell on you. What that word means is, who's brought evil upon you? Who's charmed you? Who's bewitched you? You ever watch those movies? Read those books where someone really significant in the story has had some sort of spell put on them, whether it's Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia. Most recently, the blockbuster Avengers series. You've seen that? Remember, you got Captain America, and he's, he's got a best friend who's basically killed a bunch of people, and all of you pro-Captain American people are like, well, that's his friend, and, and Bucky just was under the spell. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just sort of in this trance, right? So you want to yell at Bucky. You want to yell at the people in these trances. Snap out of it. What are you doing? How could you do that? That's what Paul's saying here. Who's charmed you? We, when we watch the movies and we see, like, who's responsible for that? What has happened? What are they saying to so disorient us? Paul's saying, who's tricked you? Who's come in and planted this disbelieving reality, this feeling of disconnection from God, this doubt that's caused you to be jealous? Who's put a spell on you? And so Paul then models for us in the church today, how do we address this? There's a spell on the people, he says. What does Paul do here? Three things that Paul does to help them snap out of it. <laughs> first, he equips them with truth. He, first of all, says, remember the truth. He writes... A blunt letter. God gives to Paul very important words to the Galatians. So the very important thing that we see to snap out of doubt and disbelief is to remember the truth. Paul writes a blunt, informative, in-depth letter. Galatians is a hard book to preach through because Paul gets deep quick. Usually, those who knowingly or unknowingly, or ushering us into atheism or false doctrine or those that we've chosen to listen to while already teetering on that road of skepticism. They say something so sweet, so cool. They bend it in such a way that's like, well, that's, that's kind of what I want to hear. These charmers come and, and they give us what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear. Paul doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to give you what you need to hear. And he reminds them of the truth. Do you know what kind of books are the bestseller books today and in the American church? It's books, and I could list a whole bunch of them, that really are designed to barrage us with a lot of questions, but really provide no real answers. And with no answers, pointing to the true gospel, it's sort of like jello. How many of you like Jello? Yeah, I mean food, the food Jello. Okay, right? Some of you don't. These, this guidance, this counseling is like Jello. It's full of sugar. It's fun to look at, play with. 
ooh, look, put stuff on top of it. Provides no substance at all. You ever try to nail jello to the wall? Just. But this is what we want to hear sometimes jello. Because we want somebody telling us, oh, you're okay. You're probably just too hard on yourself. Let me show you another way to consider God. You ever hear that in books or movies or. Let me, let me address, let me open a new window for you. This is new. Nobody's ever thought about this before. Let me show you this new window. Let's peek at God from this angle. And just like that, we get hooked by a nice narrative. Or in this case, for the Galatians, some simple work to do that will make us feel a little better about our connection with God. The problem is that these guides that are ushering us to a better way are really ushering us further away from something really helpful. We want What we want is something nice and gentle, something smooth, but what we need is for someone to actually help us. And so Paul comes to them and says, I want you to remember a few things. And he does it here. He says, I, I'm not going to tickle your ears here. In verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who's cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's reminding them, you were witnesses. You saw this. You believed this. Remember that truth. Christ's crucified. Verse 3, he says it again. He says, are you so foolish that after beginning by the Spirit, remember the truth, beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing with the flesh? You once had this truth. Remember the truth of what's happened. And then he gives them the truth and reminds them again in verse 7. You know. I mean, that's important. He's saying to them, you know this. You know then that those who have faith These are Abraham's sons. Notice it doesn't say those who have faith and circumcision, those who have faith and the works. No, those who have faith. The Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles. You, Galatians, you people of Salado area, God would justify you, how? By faith. You proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying all nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. He says, remember the truth. Remember what's real. Remember, get free from the skepticism. It's like Paul is saying, are you really going to undo the beautiful work of the Messiah on the cross? Are you really going to offend God by saying your son on the cross for my sins is not enough. It's like Paul saying to them that believing and trusting in Jesus' work to save us is not enough. You need your work for God. If Paul were here, he would say, yeah, Jason, that jello thing. He could say to the Galatians, you've been offering and eating up fictional jello about the law, about works, about circumstances. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy. You feel like you're now like the Jews. I'm here to give you solid meat. Paul's saying, put away the plastic spoons. because That's all you need to do to eat jello. He said, you better get out your knife. Better get out your fork. Because I'm throwing with some steak on your table. And it's time for us to eat. 
well. Remember the truth. Paul doesn't ignore their doubt. He doesn't ignore their skepticism. But he also doesn't usher them down the wider road deeper away from it. He says, get off the road. With his blunt letter, God sends this message to them to equip them, to remind them, to pull them back. And so one of the mission statements of our church, part of who we are, is we want to be committed to equipping with truth. By God's grace, we are going to be watchful for any equipping of our people that does not lead to greener pastures and stiller waters. Is my intention, or actually, it's not my intention to ever come up to you and say, you fool, what are you doing? You idiot, put a spell on you. It's not my intention to do that. But for your soul, for your life, for your family, I say get into a group where you can talk out what's going on with your life, what's going on with your season of life, so that people can lovingly say, oh, oh, Jason, be careful, be careful. You don't need to add to anything God's done. I know you don't feel it right now, but you believe. We were there when you believed. Anchor on truth. Anchor on truth. It's what we're going to be about. For your good, remember the truth. So Paul, one way he rescues them from this spell of disbelief and doubt, disconnection, he equips them with truth. He says, remember the truth. The other thing he does here that we see is he reminds them of their encounter with God. Oh, this is so important for us. Look with me at these texts again. We'll just reread them. You foolish Galatians, who's cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. And then he reminds them of an encounter. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? He's saying, remember that day you believed? You remember that encounter? He goes on. Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Remember that time it started? Remember that camp? Remember that church experience? Remember when I came to you? Remember? But now you're wanting to finish by the flesh? And then he, verse 4, he actually uses the word experience. Did you experience so much for nothing? So we see here a constant coming back and a, and a reminding the people, do you remember the time in which you believed? Do you remember what we say it here, your encounter with God? He directs them to their experience, to their faith experience when they believe. When you are doubting, when you are questioning, you're not, you're not feeling it, you know? We get that way. That's when we are most vulnerable to other opinions, other options. And that's when we most need to remember the day we were rescued. I run the risk of doing this again. But I'm gonna. I keep being drawn to one of the greatest movies of all time. I've done it before. Just a month or two ago, recalled your attention to the great cinematic work of Babe. About the pig. Babe finds himself in a, an incredibly doubtful situation. The other sheepdogs were coming against him as a sheep pig. 
and he's looking for his identity, doesn't know what's going on. One of the things that I know, if I were Babe, I was remembering was that boss Hog, Hoggett was his name, he plucked me out from the slaughter. Remember the beginning of the movie? Thousands of pigs headed to the slaughter. He picks that one up, holds them. It takes them to do his work. Paul's saying, don't you remember when you were plucked? You were saved. You didn't do anything. You just were picked up, given faith, and started a new life. Remember your encounter with God. He's like, I know you're looking for something measurable. The Abrahamic covenant was a covenant of circumcision. It was something measurable. It was something when they began to doubt, when people were coming against them, they, could, they had something they could see and remember and go, yeah, I, re- I remember that. And uh, they can remember that and go, okay, I'm God's. I'm God. I remember that moment. I'm God's. The Mosaic covenant, same thing. We remember the law. Yeah, we remember that. We see it. We're reminded of it all the time. And so Paul reminds them, remember your encounter with God. It's so important that as we go to our small groups, it's not just about discussion about how Jason said this or what Jason said that or whatever the topic is. It's important for you and your group and your, and your community group to share your story. I'm okay if you approach the house or call the people who's hosting it that week and say, hey, this week, can I share the story that I encountered God, that I was saved? I hope the community group leaders will say, we would love to hear that. We have to remind each other of the truth. We have to remind each other of our, the days that we were saved when we encountered God. We should never get over it. We should never get past it. We should get into deeper joy of it. We should every week in some way say the song that we just sang. Oh, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Paul, Galatians, remember the truth. Remember that encounter. But he does something else to these doubting, disbelieving Galatians. He writes this blunt letter about the truth. He's pointing them back to their initial encounter. And then he presents something concrete for them that they never could dream of. The third thing he does, he said, remember the gift of the Holy Spirit. Their faith, their doubting is disconnected from the only gospel. They started to give their trust into works of righteousness, like I just said, because they could see that. Don't we do that all the time? It's like, I, I don't believe because I'm not seeing anything. I don't point to circumcision. I don't point to the law. We're, we're supposed to be believers, but man, I need something concrete. And then he begins to teach them about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are familiar with the book of Galatians, you know where we're about to go. It is about to be beautiful as Paul unfolds for them. Here's what saved people look like. Here's the work, not your work, here's the work of the Holy Spirit through you. And before we get there, in this text, we see three times in the first five verses, 
a reference to the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. Look with me. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? You want something concrete? Remember when you received the Spirit? Verse 3, are you so foolish that after beginning by the Spirit, you're now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? In fact, it was for nothing. So then does God give you the Spirit, and check this out, and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? You see what he's doing there. He is pointing them back. You want something concrete? How about God came to dwell amongst you? They didn't have that. You want to be like them? Well, they didn't have that. The Spirit has now come to dwell in you and with you. I want to take you back to Corinthians. The Corinthian church was struggling with similar things. They were beginning to trust themselves more than the gospel. And they began to act like that, kind of puffed up. Look at our work. Look at who we are. Paul writes to them a letter also reminding them of the truth. And look with me in chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to read through the beginning of chapter 5. Paul writes to them, Therefore, we do not give up. Why why would he say that, by the way? Aren't, Aren't you tempted to give up when you start to doubt? You feel like circumstances are folding in on you? You need something to hold on to. Therefore, we do not give up even though our outer person is being destroyed. Outer person, you know, the one who does works, the one who's circumcised, outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, works, law, circumcision, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is it's temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is being destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with human hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And here's, here's where we're going, verse 5. Talking about not trusting what is seen, but looking to what is unseen, the outer person being destroyed, the inner person being renewed, how is that even possible? Paul, give me something concrete. Verse 5. Now the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we're always confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith not by sight. Paul is saying, church, when you doubt, don't wait for your ears to get tickled. Don't look for somebody that's going to peek in and show you a different way of God. I'm showing you the way of God. The Holy Spirit has come to you at the moment that you believed. 
The Holy Spirit has been put into you to lead you, to fill you. The way Paul puts it there is a deposit. I love that. It's what anchors us. It's what leads us. Paul is saying here, the Holy Spirit gave you faith, and it's from that that the works will come. Do you ever think much about the Holy Spirit? Jason, we're Baptists. Stop it. Really? That's, that's what you're going to say? Let's just admit we're lazy. Let's admit maybe we're afraid. I pray every week that the Holy Spirit would do something in this place that would blow your minds. Not that you would go, wow, that's the song we like. That's the way the sermon should be. No, that you would go, who am I to ever doubt that God loves me? I believe a good, Godward, Christ-centered equipping, along with a continual celebration of the day that we were saved, the day we encountered the living God, is all a part of the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul doesn't promote their work. He promotes God's work on the cross and the resurrection. He promotes God's work of giving them faith when he encountered them. He promotes God's grace by not smiting them when they sinned against them. He promotes God's continual practical work through the Holy Spirit. Remember the truth. Remember your encounter with God and remember the Holy Spirit working. So as we close, I want us to look at these nine verses, what Paul's done here, and remember that as they're disconnected, as they're disbelieving, as they're doubting, here's how Paul helps them. He helps them bluntly by pointing them to truth. He helps them by reminding them of the day in which they encountered God. He helps them by not elevating human reasoning or some good dialogue. He helps them by exalting the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today, we're going to move to a time of reflection of what we just heard, these nine verses. Next week, we're going to see the fourth thing that Paul does for them. The fourth thing is he unpacks what it means to be justified by faith alone in God. We'll learn more about that next week. But the first three things we see as he addresses here are these. And so if you're a believer, there was a day in your life that you chose to follow Christ. You gave your life. You surrendered. You turned from the way that you were living. And you believed in the moment that he is worth it, that he can, and that he has saved you. If that's you... If there was a day where Jesus paid it all and you believed it, but you find yourself skeptical now, maybe kind of lifeless, going through the motions, not really believing, kind of looking for more, during this time of reflection, there's a couple things I want to encourage you to do. The first is this. I want, to, I want you to open yourself up to solid equipping, to good teaching, to right gospel truth not some popular movie or popular book if you don't know what that is ask that's what the elders are here for maybe small group leaders just ask like how who do i seek where can i get advice 
On the screen, I'm going to present to you two resources, just two. These are, if you want a book that's going to help you. I believe that every generation has a sort of a, an apologist that helps skeptics. Um, remember Josh McDowell. Um, you have, uh, I'm, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the case for Christ, Lee Strobel. And then uh, recently, Pastor Tim Keller, several years ago, wrote a book called The Reason for God. It's a book about though for those who are skeptical. It's really for the unbeliever, but I found as a as a pastor, someone in the church, I've handed this out to college students, and this has really helped them more than any other book to, to oh, okay, God is just. God is loving. God is good. Tim Keller's a good book to read. A source that Daniel brought to my attention today. I have not read this book, but I've read some reviews about it, and I hear it's really, really good. Uh, by Barnabas Piper, it says real simply, Help My Unbelief is the title. When doubt is not the enemy of faith. So seek helpful resources, believer. Come and pray and ask. If that's you to hear today, maybe you want to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to come up here to the steps and just, just sort of bow and say, God, I'm having a hard time trusting you, believing you. I want to encourage you to join a group. Find a group that will care for you, that will connect with you, that will help you grow in the faith, not grow away from it. The other thing, believer, I want to encourage you to do is take a moment, even today, as we sing Jesus paid it all, I want you to take a moment to remember your initial encounter with God. I want you to think about it. I want you to ask God to remind you of everything that you could in that moment. Do you remember a smell? Do you remember the moment? Do you remember the truth taught? Do you remember the person leading you to it? Do you remember the emotion of it? Do you remember the truth and what it did to your soul? Think of it. Even before you stand up to sing, think about that. Let, it, let your mind marinate on that. And then believer, I want to invite you to do something really, really Amazing. I want you to reflect and I want you to meditate and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and take that flicker of faith and fan it into a flame of love for God. That's what he wants. That's the deposit that God's given to you is to fan that into flame. Not to make much of you or the church or style. He wants to make much of God. Ask him, God, do something big, do something big. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and help my unbelief and my doubt. If you're here this morning and you are a true skeptic, you are an unbeliever, you have yet or, or you just don't know what you think of this church thing or God or Jesus, I want to invite you, just like I was invited, come to Jesus with your questions. Zacchaeus looked from a tree, watching, checking it out. The woman at the well didn't even really know it was Jesus, was asking all these questions. Come to God and ask him. Maybe come talk to one of us and say, what does it mean that he paid it all for me? I've heard that, but I want to believe that. I want you to know that he wants you. He's not afraid of you. He wants you. So if that's you and you're kicking the tires and you just don't know and maybe you're judging him by the way you've seen his people act. No, come to Jesus. 
come to him, he paid the price for your sins. He did that so that when you stand before God, if you believe in Jesus and trust him, it will be Jesus' blood sacrifice that he sees that covers you, that makes you right. He did this on the cross. He rose again three days later. And he did this for those who would believe. So I'm asking you, come.